This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Man, can you explain to me what I saw in the woods? Because they're not sure if what they saw is real. There's game wardens everywhere with guns drawn, um, blood all over the ground. And they tell him, listen, we're here to make sure you're safe. Like we have these boundaries, mental boundaries that allow us to function. The normal reaction is just to stick your finger in there and plug it up, right? Like, okay, I'm not going to think about this. This is uh, too much for me, right? Crunch, crunch, crunch. Not fast, slow lumbering steps out of the tree line and into the road. People have known about the woodsman forever, Bigfoot. But this, the concept of this kind of creature that I've never heard of, to me, that's some of the most frightening things because there's no no point of reference for that. What's up, guys? It's Dog Ward. It's the king of YouTube horror, and I'm here with you on the Wild Initiative. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wild Initiative podcast. Today, we have a very special episode for you. I have the king of horror, master of monsters, paranormal investigator, Dark Waters. Man, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with me today. I'm excited to have you here. Man, I'm happy to be here with you and excited about scaring everybody for Halloween. We're going to make it nice and spooky for them, especially those guys that's out in the woods and you're thinking you're going out hunting at four o'clock in the morning and you start walking. I got something for you. Walking around in the darkness. I tell you what, there's been, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot better at it, but there's been, you know, especially when I first started hunting, there's been some, some early mornings, some late evenings going back to camp where I tell you, you know, you're walking through and, you know, you never know what's worse. And I know we'll get into this, but. But when you're walking through the woods, you're never quite sure what's worse, the complete silence or those little crunching footsteps you hear walking through the woods. I'm never, never quite sure what makes me a little more nervous one way or the other. No, I'm 100% with you. And that's the, um, we're going to get into all that, man. We're going to definitely get into all that. I, I don't do a lot of hunting. I remember as a kid here in New Orleans, I'm born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, but my neighborhood was pretty much the swamps, right? And it's New Orleans East, it was built on the swamps. And so there was a lot of like trees and areas where you can go in that was just forest land. And I remember being in the woods by myself. We used to, we built the skateboard ramp, right? Like in the middle of the woods and going out into those woods to skateboard by myself, which when I say skateboard, I'm not talking about a serious ramp. I'm talking about like a little ramp that you ride and jump 
you know, off of, right? Yeah. Man, I remember being out there and you, you alone, cold spots in the woods in the summertime, freaking trees kind of shaking and crunching noises, all kind of stupid stuff that would run me out of there every time. I couldn't go in there by myself because there was just too much wild stuff going on. I tell you, it's, uh, you know, the wilderness is a place of incredible beauty, but often incredible creepiness. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, so I would love to, if you could maybe give a little bit of an intro about just who you are and how did you get into learning about these stories and uh, investigating them and, and maybe give us an idea of your process and how, you know, how you do what you do. Yeah, sure. So my name is James Williams. I go by dark waters. That's kind of my pen name. I guess what you would call it. Um, I started doing this back in 2015, um, mainly because I listened to a lot of stuff on YouTube where people were talking about the paranormal and I would consume the content. And I was like, you know, a lot of this stuff is fake. And if someone just had a personality and decided to actually talk to real witnesses and kind of use some investigative techniques to figure out what was going on, you can get a hell of a lot better stories. So I decided to try it out. And then as a kid, I had all kind of paranormal experiences, like some of those things I told you guys about in the woods and some stuff in Mississippi, which is where all my stuff happened. Um, Crazy 11 foot shadows with glowing red eyes, like crazy stuff. Right. Um, And so I decided I was going to give it a shot. And unlike the majority of the people who deal in the paranormal on YouTube, um, I decided to give out my personal phone number and um, I start taking phone calls. Now, um, I use a technique that um, that a lot of law enforcement use, which is looping and injecting into conversations to get to the truth. So if someone tells me a story and they say they went out in the woods and they heard something creepy and scary, I'll listen to that story, memorize it. I don't take any notes. Um, thank God that I have that kind of memory. And I'll listen to it twice, get off the phone with them, call them back a couple of days later and tell them their story, but inject lies into their story on purpose. And the reason why I inject those lies is to see if they're going to remember what they told me, number one, and number two, to see how they react to the lie. When you're dealing with sociopathic liars who are seeking attention, they actually build on top of the lie that you inject into their story, right? If it's someone who's genuine and is telling you an encounter and it really happened, they get offended by the lie that you inject. And you're like, man, that's not what I told you. It didn't go that way. It went this way. Right. And if you keep on doing that small process of looping them, which is starting their conversation over and retelling them their story and injecting, you can quickly find out if someone's telling you the truth or not. The only time it's a problem is when that person's had like an encounters over let's say their encounters happen on their property over three years, right? That it makes it a little bit more difficult. But for the person who's went hunting, went in the woods, was sitting in a tree stand and saw something in the distance, took a shot at it, and it turned out not to be what they thought it was, it's really a, a super effective technique. Um, my background is a, a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering with a minor in physics. I worked for the Department of Defense, uh, Space and Strategic Defense Command, on secret projects, underground bunkers, the whole nine. Um, also worked for everything telecommunications and energy of New Orleans. So when we start talking about holding conversations with people and kind of going back and forth, I have the wherewithal to do it, right? So you take 
my real life educational experiences, my street experience from growing up in New Orleans and uh, the street savvy that you get. And you focus it like a laser beam on one person and give them 100% of your attention. You can quickly get to the bottom of if someone's telling a lie or telling the truth. And so once I get a true story from somebody that I'm 100% confident that is true, then I recreate that story uh, and I dramatize it with audio and music and sound. And it turns into, um, it gives you an opportunity as the listener to actually relive that encounter. And you're listening to it, reliving it, but you're safely reliving that encounter from the comfort of your sofa or in your car driving down the road. And so that's essentially what I do. I've been on Coast to Coast AM, Darkness Radio. I think I've done like 190 interviews total. I mean, you may make like 194 or something like that today. (laughs) So um, I've been heard everywhere in China, India. It's crazy. And I love doing it. I absolutely love doing it because I love talking to people. Um, I love talking to witnesses. Then I love just meeting new people. So it's it's really something that I truly enjoy. So out of the, out of the calls you get, you know, the people reaching out to you, what, I mean, would you say that a, a good majority of them are, are full of it or they're telling the truth? Like, what do you tend to see as far as, uh, the people reaching out? Well, when I first started doing it, it was, um, uh, 75% true, 30% lies, right? But I started embarrassing the people who lie a little bit. Um, and the way I embarrassed them was I, I started doing kind of um, the worst stories I've ever was ever told and kind of let it be known publicly that you're not going to trick me. And so now people don't even call me unless they're calling to tell the truth because originally my stance was I'm not going to embarrass you. Then I moved to, okay, I'm just going to embarrass you. So people stop <laughs> and now people know, okay, don't call him wasting his time because I just tell him, look, man, I don't believe what you're saying. And, you know, I don't want to do I'm not going to publicly discredit you, but I really don't like people wasting my time. And so anybody who interacts with me, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or email, I'm really quick and to the point. And like someone wants to ask a question or beating around a bush, I'll say, listen, get to your question, you know, tell me what you want to know so I can answer it and move on to the next thing. And that's how I kind of beat a beat back the lies. Um, you just have to be real direct with people, but people don't do that anymore. They, uh, they don't even test me that way anymore. They used to really try and uh, get me, but they don't do it anymore because they know, they know it's just not going to work. It's not going to yeah. work. So I would say right now, if I get 10 phone calls, maybe two people will lie to me, maybe one person, maybe one person will lie. One person is like, eh, you on a fence. The rest of them are like, nah, dude, I, I really want to know what I saw. And you'll be amazed at how many people they don't call just to tell their encounter. It's man, can you explain to me what I saw in the woods? And then they tell you the story because they're not sure if what they saw is real. And that's how, that's one of the ways you know someone is going through something that's true is they're going through the denial stage of having that encounter. It's like, man, am I crazy? Am I tripping? And did I really see this? They're in the early phases of denial. So they're just trying to, and they go from that to try and justify their encounter and do the rest of the cycle. So um, there's definitely ways to tell psychologically where a person is. If someone calls me and they're really excited to tell me something like, oh, man, I've been trying to reach you because I really want to tell you what happened to me, blah, 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 blah. I know off off the bat something's wrong because most people who encounter something, 
strange and weird, they really, you really have to pull it out of them. The conversation is more like, well, you know, I was reaching out to you just to ask you some questions about something that I saw. Okay. And I'm like, okay, give me, go ahead, shoot. What's the question? Well, hypothetically, if you were in the woods, blah, blah, blah. And they, they kind of, cause they don't want to come across as being crazy. So mm-hmm. they're very concerned about how they're perceived. But when people are super duper excited, I'm like, oh my God, this is a lie. You know, that's the number one giveaway. Is someone who's like uber excited about telling me a story. I mm-hmm. damn near want to hang up on them. <laughs> well, yeah, it's almost it's almost the difference of, you know, somebody that's looking for attention is reaching out to anyone that will listen to them mm-hmm. versus somebody that uh, either isn't sure what they saw or they're pretty sure they had an encounter is looking for an expert to, I mean, almost even talk them out of it. Maybe, you know, I, exactly. I can imagine there's a lot of stress involved in some of these encounters and people are pretty freaked out and they want somebody to tell them that there's not things going bump in the night. Absolutely. And unfortunately the bad thing is those people who had real encounters, they have to go through this, this process where their context is changed. So our minds have our brains deal in what we believe to be the existing reality. Like monsters don't exist. Giant werewolves are in the woods. You know, Bigfoots are there, but possibly they won't do me anything. There's no such thing as vampires. Like we have these boundaries, mental boundaries that allow us to function, right? Well, once something starts to crack, put a crack in that boundary wall and water starts leaking in, um, the normal reaction is just to stick your finger in there and plug it up, right? Like, okay, I'm not going to think about this. This is uh, too much for me, right? Well, in some people's uh, cases, when they have an encounter, it's like somebody took a sledgehammer to the wall and just the boundary wall and just broke it open and the water's flooding in. And now they're stressed and they're concerned and they're, they're like, they're really worried about, can they continue doing what they were doing, whether it be going into the woods or going back to work? And so those are the people that I end up talking to. And those are the people who kind of struggle a little bit because they have to come to terms and come to grips with what they saw. Like one, and I'll, I'll tell you guys, one of the longest encounters that like an ongoing encounter is still going on to this day. Um, years ago, maybe four years ago, I got a call from a guy named Connor in Kentucky, right? Starts off with, Hey DW, you know, I just want to talk to you about some of the things going on around my property and give you an idea what's going on and get your opinion. And so the first story he tells me was he was in a hunting blind at the top of this hollow and he was sitting in a tree and he's watching this deer run through the hollow. Right. And a doe, right. So the story says, so this doe comes running by, but it's small and I'm not, I don't want to take it. He says, but then this buck comes by and he's like, it's got, you know, huge buck. But it's running and it's like, he's like, man, it's running for his life. He's like, it's not running like chasing after the doe. It's literally running for his life. And he says, I start to hear something else tearing through in that holler. He's like, man, it's just, he said, sound like a freaking freight train running through there. So imagine you're up in a tree, you're looking down, but you can see this black furry mass running in between the trees chasing this deer. The deer Mm -hmm. goes up the ridge and shoots straight up the ridge and goes up. And then you get a glimpse of this big black thing running up the ridge and you can see ears. You can see a snout. It's on all of, it's down on all fours. And you see this huge lump on his back. Like the way he described it was like it was hunchback, um, but with fur on it. And he says, man, um, 
I had never seen anything that big moving that fast in the woods. A few seconds, a few seconds later, he hears this, that one of those deer is just screaming and hollering for bloody life, for bloody murder, right? And it sends this chill down his spine. He's like, man, I don't know what's going on, but I'm, I'm about to get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. A couple of days later, him and his dog go back to that same area, and he's just out walking his dog, got his rifle. The dog go ahead and pees on a tree in the area, just pees on a tree. He decides he's going to take a leak on a tree as well, right? So both <laughs> of them pee in that same area and then go back home. And after that, he starts to get visits at his house by these upright walking wolves. People call them dog men. People call them canines. People call them werewolves. To me, it don't matter what you call it once you see it. You just saw something that was freaky, right? Yeah. And it starts off with him laying in bed and this thing peeping in the window. Like literally, you're laying in bed watching TV and you see something out of the corner of your eye in the window. And when you turn your head and look over, you see this gigantic wolf head duck back down outside your window. His dog starts running around the house. His dog's name was Jackson. Jackson is dead now. We'll get to that part of the story. But um, dog's running around the house, barking from room to room, window to window. And then he hears this growl outside. And this huge German shepherd starts to piss himself and hide under the bed. And that was at the point in time where he knew he had a problem because his dog never reacted like that out of fear to anything or anyone. So mm-hmm. it proceeds to where... Um, nightly these things are coming to his property he would hear them tripping over like bicycles that he had in the yard and kind of howling like like an injured dog outside because it's hit its foot on something and then he goes through this time period where he fell working one of his construction jobs fell off a ladder and hurt his back so now he's mobile but not 100 percent mobile and that's when it really got worse around his property he's in the house sitting down watching a football game and um, starts to hear like something's beating on one of his vans outside. And he's a country boy. So he's got like cars that he fixes and sells and he'll buy a car for 500, sell it for a thousand. You know, he does little, little hustles. You know how it is. Um, And so he hears this banging on the van outside, gets up, grabs his shotgun, grabs his flashlight, goes to the window and looks out and shines the light out the window. And he sees this little bitty, and he described it. He said, man, this little cute fox looking thing, like crawling on all fours, trying to move from left to right away from the van. Yeah, from right to left, excuse me, from right to left away from the van. If he's facing it, yeah, left to right. So it's left to right because he's facing it away from the van and towards this tree. And then this thing stands up and starts to just stand still like it's hiding. Like, you know, by keeping still, it would hide itself. Mm-hmm. And so he opens the door, looks out, shines the light on it even more. And then it just walks over and hides behind the tree in his front yard. And the way he described it was it wasn't threatening. It wasn't scary. It wasn't. It was kind of cute. Well, something told him to shine his light into the tree line further out. And then about 12, 13 feet up in the air, he sees these two huge, gigantic amber eyeballs. Um, and he described them as like the size of um, the base of one of those kind of styrofoam cups, you know, the little white eight ounce styrofoam cups or the red yeah, cups yeah. that big in the woods. So he realized that it was mama or daddy out there watching this little one play around and that maybe the little one was toying with them or maybe they were trying to bait him to come out of the house. He, he felt like it was baiting him to come out, but he didn't want to go out into the yard. He's like, all right, whatever, I'm closing the door and I'll go back in the house. 
Yeah. Well, as time passed, um, they would continue to come around his property. And it got so much so to the point to where he knew when they were around because his dog would react to them. So he would open the back door, let his dog out to use the bathroom in the morning. If the dog didn't leave aside, they were there. If the dog ran out into the tree line and he did his business, came back, he knew they weren't there, right? So he decides to go talk to his neighbors. He's got neighbors about three miles away. Um, black family, three miles away. They got about six houses on uh, a single piece of property. Football field lights up. Not like regular lights, but literally football stadium lights up on their property. And he doesn't want to tell them, hey, have y'all seen any like wolves that walk? So he's just like saying, hey, buddy, y'all ever seen anything weird around here in the woods? Well, they tell him, well, man, we haven't been into the woods uh, for a long time. And the guy he's talking to in particular says, man, I haven't been into the woods since I was a kid in this area. And we don't go into the woods. Like, keep in mind, their whole property is surrounded by woods. But they don't go into the woods. They drive, you know, they got like a little bridge. You got to cross over a creek to get to the property. But they don't go into the woods. So he starts to talk to his other neighbor who owns like this little airport up on top of a ridge behind his property. Goes up there and talks to him. Hey, man, you ever seen anything crazy around here in, in, in this area? And he says, well, yeah, you know, I had some hunters come up here and lease the land to hunt. And they were out there for a day and they said they were never coming back because they saw three of the biggest wolves that they'd ever seen. And so he's trying to get the guy to talk to him about these animals. And he says, well, man, you know, they were too scared to really give me a description. They were just like, man, we never coming back here. We want our money back because we're not going to hunt your land because you got these big wolves on your land. Right. Um, Fast forward to recently. Um, he goes to do a construction job. Right. Like him and his boy going out to uh to renovate this house. Gets up that morning, lets his dog out, his dog goes out of the back door, runs to the tree line and starts growling and barking at something. Calls his dog, he comes back, locks him in the house, hops in his truck and goes to meet his boy. They stop at the gas station and they're at the gas station get like water and stuff for the job that day. Well the gas station attendant tells him, Hey man, you know, the police are back up at your property. You might want to go back and check and see what's going on. He says, well, why would the police be at my property? He says, well, I don't know. Somebody, some truck driver hit like a big bear or something, and they're all up over in that way, in that area. So he turns around, goes back home. When he gets back home, his dog is laying in the field dead, right behind his house. There's game wardens everywhere with guns drawn, um, blood all over the ground. And so you got to understand, this guy's had a lot of activity on his property I mean, over the years. So he knows what's there. So the first thing he says, what the hell y'all doing on my property? And they tell him, listen, we're here to make sure you're safe. He's like, you're here to make sure I'm safe? You know, okay, well, what, what are you worried about me being in danger of? But nobody wants to give him a straightforward answer. Then he notices his dog is dead, like literally in the middle of the field laying dead. Now he's thinking that they shot his dog. So he goes over to his dog, picks his dog up, touching his dog, trying to figure out what's happening. No blood is on his dog. There's blood everywhere around the dog. I mean, like a blood trail everywhere, but there's no blood on his dog. So he puts his dog on a tailgate of his truck and, you know, now he's going back talking to them. He's like, look, y'all get off my property. They're like, well, sir, we want to make sure you're okay. He says, well, I know what's in these woods. Won't you tell me what you're here looking for? Because I know what's here. Nobody wants to answer him. The three guys that were initially, or maybe four guys that were initially there leave. As they're leaving, two more guys come out of the tree line. One with a handgun, one with a rifle. 
So he approaches them. Hey, man, listen, what's going on? Why are you here? And just keep saying, hey, man, we want to keep you safe. Make sure we were OK. Make sure everything was all right. Nobody wants to give him a reasonable answer. Nobody wants to justify why they're on this property. So he kicks them, tells them to get the hell from around here, right? Before mm-hmm. the guy leaves, he says, hey, have you been in my house? The guy says, no, I haven't been in your house, sir. We were just trying to make sure you were okay. Like, like kind of emphasizing, make sure you were okay. Like, something's here for you to worry about. We want to make sure you're okay. Drives back up to the back of his house with his dog and, you know, you got to understand in this scenario, as long as I've been talking to this man, the only thing he's had, well, the only individual in his life has been this dog. Like he's never talked about his cousins, his brothers, his sisters, like nobody but him and this dog, right? So he's completely heartbroken. Um, Goes to the back door of his house and realizes that his back door is, the knob is broken. Like, like it's broken, like somebody just turned it and snapped it and broke it. And so now he's pissed because he knows what happened in his mind. He's like, man, that morning when I let the dog out, he must have ran up on one of these things that were injured and started barking at it and trapped it while it was cornered and injured. And it came back, opened the door and got him. So he starts to follow the blood trail. So it's tracking a trail, goes straight out into the woods, follows it for miles. It goes down into a hollow, back up on the other side, goes over to where these cliffs are. And he goes down the cliff, follows the blood trail down the cliff, which at this point in time, he's just pissed. And um, once he gets down into that area, he can follow it for about another 300 yards and then it disappears. So he starts circling, you know, making a 10 yard circle, 20 yard, 30 yard, trying to pick up this blood trail again. And he can't find a trail, works his way back home. And he committed to himself that he was going to shoot one of these things because he's had them on his property. He knows they're there. So the next couple of days, he's just pissed. He goes out into the woods in the middle of the night, turns off his his uh, headlamp and sits there and waits. And he would hear them walking around him, circling him, and then they would stop and leave and go in the other direction, just walk off. He would go again, same thing. Then he decided he was going to go out without a gun. He's just going to take a knife out there because maybe they were afraid of the gun. Goes out there with a knife. They come in, take a look, and leave, right? And now he's at the point to where um, he's just hurt, honestly. He's just hurt because, you know, he was already afraid to leave out of his house at night. He was carrying weapons when he went to the car to get anything out of the car. But now he doesn't have his dog, which was his protector. And he's still in that situation. Can't move, can't, you know, do anything. Can't sell his property, can't do anything. And he just having to live with that situation where he has these upright walking wolves on his property. Um, and when I say on his property, I believe that what's going on is that um, they've been hunting in that area. I tell people it's about 150 mile hunting range that these things use. And if you just drew a 150 mile circle and then imagine that as their migrating pattern, as they're migrating from where they're going, it's still that 150 mile range that they're moving. And so he runs into that. How you doing this evening, dude? Um, and so they come and they go, but they always revisit his property for whatever reason. And that's the type of animal that we're talking about people encountering in the woods. I mean, super fast, super stealth. Um, and I personally believe, you know, based on all the stories I've been told by people who encountered them that, um, I wouldn't give it the word evil. I would say, um, 
an alpha personality. Like they want to intimidate you and, um, and make sure you understand who's boss. You know what I'm saying? They're the master of their domain. They're definitely the master of their domain. I mean, a hundred percent master of their domain. And just to give you guys an idea of how fast things, these things are, because when we talk about dog man and, and, and these werewolves, whatever one you want to call them, I don't call them werewolves because a human being, I've never known a human being transforming anything other than a butthead. You know what I'm saying? Someone <laughs> get drunk and turn to a jackass, right? But if you go look on my YouTube channel, Dog Wars, and look at the elusive dog man caught on film, there's this guy in Fort Pierce, Florida. His name is Blue. And he has, like, within the first minute of the video, You'll see where he opens his back door and you see this freaking thing run across the screen, literally the size of there's this telephone pole outside, right? Like a, a utility pole where a distribution line is probably the best way to describe it. Um, and you see this thing is about half the height of that pole and you see how quickly it runs. And in the process of running from left to right across camera, it stops, looks at him and takes off running. All of this happens in about two to three seconds. It's running full speed, stops, look over, looks over at him, and takes off running again. Now, you would have got more of it in frame had he not been afraid and slammed the door because he was on a Facebook live stream when this happened, and he just slammed the door because he's like, oh, hell no. And he goes through <laughs> the process of, I'm telling you, you got to watch it. It's hilarious to see his reaction. And the most important thing for me was when I uploaded it to my channel, I uploaded the whole 30 minutes because I wanted people to see the process that someone who's witnessed something that changes their context goes through. Like he goes through saying, man, am I tripping y'all? Did y'all see that? Am I, am I tripping? And then you see people comment, no, you're not tripping. I saw that. Then people say, people say, man, it looks like a big old werewolf walking on two legs. Blah, 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 blah. And he starts to say, well, man, then he starts praying, you know, praying to God. Then, yea, do I walk through the valley of death? I should feel no evil because he's afraid. Then he goes from being afraid to like, man, I told y'all I wasn't tripping. I saw this, blah, blah. And he goes through the whole cycle right live on camera, which is from a investigative standpoint who talks to witnesses. It's been hard for me to explain to people the, the mental process that people go through. But that, I mean, that is, it captures it all live on camera. So if you're listening, you look it up, Dark Wars channel, the elusive dog man caught on film, and you'll see it one minute in about 10 seconds, you'll see it run across the screen. And then he starts to send me photos of this thing. And I, I think I sent Brad the photo. And you can see it clearly standing there in the woods, man. You see a gigantic freaking wolf head. It ain't small. There in the woods, you can see shoulders and a neck and everything else just standing there looking at him. Now, here's the crazy thing about Blue. If I call Blue on three-way right now and say, hey, Blue, man, what you doing? Have you seen anything else? And he's going to say, well, man, you know, I've been seeing stuff, but I'm trying to, you know, I think I'm tripping sometimes because, you know, I don't, and I don't want to talk to you about it because I don't want you to think I'm crazy. Even though he's caught it on film, even though he shared pictures with me, even though those same videos and pictures have been on two TV shows, he still is going through parts denial where he doesn't want to be embarrassed. So psychologically it's something that people really struggle to get over once their context of belief has been changed and once it's shattered it really is like breaking a person's brain to a certain extent like you just broke a part of them 
and they struggle with it. And, and that's how I know when it's real versus when it's fake, because there's no way to fake that confusion. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So what are, you know, we just talked about uh, one specific story of Dogman. Um, what are some of, I guess, in your experience uh, from the stories you've learned, what are some of the monsters or creatures out there? Uh, maybe a, a variety of the examples, some some different ones that uh, from your evidence you've gathered believe to exist versus maybe some of the common ones people are, you know, like, oh, yeah, these are, you know, these are the monsters, but you haven't seen any uh, any evidence of. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you you want to know about the things that are off the beaten path that nobody's talking about. Hell yeah, we can talk about that. Um, so the number one thing you want to hear about is dog, man. But to me, some of the freakier things that hunters have told me about that they've seen in the woods, one of them, oh my God, this is so scary. One of them is this 11 foot tall, pretty much pale man, or humanoid is the best way to describe it, with no face. And what I mean by no face is if you, if we were to take you and me, right, and put skin over our eyes, skin over our nose holes, skin over our mouth, and skin over our ears, right? Mm-hmm. We would just, it would, you wouldn't be able to breathe, you wouldn't be able to see, right? Well, that's exactly what a guy in Alabama encountered. But it was 11 foot tall, emaciated, skinny, um, and, and he's out in the woods hunting, and he's actually heading to his blind, and he hears this noise, like, in the trees to his left. He's like, man, what the hell is this noise? Well, from behind this tree steps this 11-foot-tall, skinny, emaciated humanoid with literally no face. Takes off running. Because he's like, I don't know what this is. I'm not shooting at it. I'm just getting the hell out of here. And now this is the freaky thing. I've only heard about this two times. One time it happened here in New Orleans. It starts chasing him. But instead of running like a human being, it's running like um, it's galloping where it's using its hands and its legs to run. So it's, you know how parkour runners kind of, when they're doing a parkour move, they'll dive forward, like kind of a gorilla leap. That kind of. Yeah. Yeah. They're like posting off with their hands and tossing their feet through. Exactly. Yeah. It's doing that, chasing behind him. And it was funny because I was like, dude, what did you do? I can't use the language he used. He's like, man, I turned around. I just fired a shot. He's like, I don't know if I hit it. I don't know what I did, but I just, I was like, oh, hell no, you're not going to get me. I just turned around. I fired a shot. And when he took a couple of more steps running forward, looked back over his shoulder, it was cutting back off into the woods. And I was like, man, I'm not sure what that was, but the only other time I've heard of that, it happened here in New Orleans on a lakefront, the exact same description, except for it had clothes on. And it was running across this couple's car, the front of this couple's car, not on top of it, but like ran across where your headlights are um, along the lakefront and exact same description. The other thing that people don't talk about that's been in the woods is, and I don't know what this is, but it's literally a red man, like a man whose skin is red. And I don't know what the hell that is. I mean, I don't, I don't know why. But it doesn't chase anyone. It just peeps from behind trees, looks at them. And then when they go approach that tree to actually check and see what's there, it's gone. But then they'll look up and it'll be behind another tree further out, 20, 30 yards away. And it'll be peeping his head at him from around the tree. 
And uh, hunters have called it the red man, but we still haven't been able to figure out what it is. When I started looking into old lore to see if there was any kind of old lore about a red man in the woods, nobody had any lore on it. And I, I couldn't find anything. Um, I would say another thing that's super freaky to me. I don't know if you ever heard of these. They're called fire demons. Have you ever heard of a fire demon? I mean, uh, I play a lot of video games, so that would be my only reference point, but uh, not in not in any sort of real context. No, I'm not familiar. So in a real context, um, this came out of the from the firefighters that were fighting the wildfires in um, California. You know how they cut a tree? If a tree's on fire, like the inside of the tree will be burning, right? But the outside won't be. But mm-hmm. the, the tree will be on fire, but the inside of the tree will be on fire. So one of the techniques they have to use is they have to cut into the trees to um, to try and put those fires out to try and stop the fire from spreading. Because eventually that tree is going to combust and the whole thing is going to burst into flames. One of the guys that I talked to, he told me a Bigfoot encounter years ago as a firefighter. Where he called me, he's like, dark man, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you this. I don't know. Why I should, if I'm, you know, if I'm gonna get in trouble or if anybody's listening, he's like, but man, I got to send you some of these pictures, which he hadn't sent them yet. But he's like, man, you know, we're out there fighting the fire. And he said, we're cutting into these trees. And literally when you cut into the tree, this flaming fiery being comes out of the tree. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, imagine like if you were in, if there was a gigantic piece of paper in front of you. And you stuck your hands through the piece of paper, both hands, and then braced yourself and pulled yourself through that paper the rest of your body. He's like, it was pulling itself through the tree and jumping and going into another tree and disappearing into the tree. And I was like, come on, man, you got to be lying to me. He's like, I'm not lying to you, dude. I'm telling you, I can have my friends call you. We can talk about it. And I know he's not a liar. That's another crazy thing that's in the woods. Now, here's the, as a hunter, you may be saying, well, how does that affect me? I don't know if that's true or that doesn't have anything to do with me randomly going into the woods. Well, he told me about lightning strikes and how there've been several times when there were lightning strikes in the woods during thunderstorms where that exact same thing would happen, where it would go out and put out a fire, a small fire that started from a lightning strike and it would jump from tree to tree to tree. So if you're an outdoorsman and you see a lightning strike, just be conscious of the fact that something like that might be out there in the woods. I would be extremely, conscious of that um why they do that where they come from i have no clue but it's definitely definitely something out there when it comes to fire demons and, and to me you know dog man is scary um freaking 11 foot tall pale men are scary everything is scary to me but the concept of something actually if i'm in a tree and i'm in a tree stand and lightning strikes nearby and then something's going from tree to tree, set them on fire, that would worry. And so I'm kind of telling you things that I, as if I was in the woods, that I would be afraid of. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, The vomit. I don't know if you guys ever heard of this. This is out of State Line, Mississippi. Probably one of the worst things I've ever heard. And for the record, State Line, Mississippi has a lot of crazy stuff that happens there from ghost cars, chasing people off the road, to this vomit, to invisible beings and houses, um, to Bigfoot freaking flipping over trailers. State on something, there's something wrong with state line Mississippi. <laughs> but the vomit, I'm serious. I mean, something wrong with that area. Um, but the vomit creature, these two brothers called me 
And they started off sharing this story about their in how this house they inherited from their grandfather. And they went story after story after story after story. And finally, they shared this story with me about um, this creature that everyone there calls the vomit. Um, and basically, it's an upright walking alligator. Some people will call it alligator man, but it's literally an upright walking alligator. And um, if I'm not mistaken, it's his grandfather that was on the side of the road, trapped on the side of the road with a flat tire. And he decided that he was going to walk. It's nighttime. He decided he's going to walk to the filling station and get help and then come back and get what he needs to get to get the car rolling. So he's walking along on a roadway, nothing ever moonlight. Mississippi highways, if you've ever been on the Mississippi highway, you know, ain't no damn street lights out there. Yeah. It's you just, it's you in the woods, period, right? And he starts to hear these steps, like these slow lumbering steps in the wood line, like crunch, 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 crunch. Not fast, not like a deer, not like in the just crunch, 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 crunch. Not, it's just super slow. And something tells him he needs to stop where he is and just keep very still. So he stands there and he watches this thing take these slow lumbering steps out of the tree line and into the road, just one foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. And he described it as an alligator head, um, small like alligator arms, longer legs, but still like kind of web feet and a tail just slowly like walking its way across the street about, I mean, across the roadway, about six and a half, seven feet tall. It never looked in his direction. Uh, he didn't want it to look in his direction. He didn't make a noise. He didn't make a sound. He stood there for like 30 minutes because he could hear it once it crossed the road and went back into the wood line and just kept walking step, step, step. And he stood there until he couldn't hear the footsteps anymore. Then he ran all the way to the filling station, got help, came back, and got his vehicle. Um, so those are some of the worst things that I've heard in the woods. And I guess the last one would be this triangle head thing. Um, I'm not sure if you would consider this an alien. I don't, I don't know what you would consider this, but this story actually came to me from a Texas state trooper. I'm trying to remember it's West Texas. Um, Northwest Texas is where this was. I can't remember the name of the, the little town it was in, but he called me to, to ask me questions about, had I ever seen or heard of anything about a creature that had this kind of black and bluish skin, super long, like nails, not like, like claws, but um, he called them nails, but super long claws moved on all fours, but had a, a distinct triangle head. Like the way he described it was, uh, there was a movie. What's the name of that movie where Silent Hill, remember on Silent Hill, that guy, that was dragging a knife, had that gigantic triangle head. I think the movie yeah, Silent Hill, you yeah. remember that one? So he said, man, if you would imagine a, something with a head like that, except for it wasn't, it was the triangle with the point was like towards the front of the body. Uh, so it was be pointing forward. And then everything was based on that point of the triangle, like the arms, the legs, everything else. He's sitting in his vehicle, clocking people for speed, like, you know, trying to catch speeders. And he sees this thing come out of the wood line and lay in the middle of the road, and it just lays there. And he, I'm talking about getting a good view of it. I mean, he described this thing to the T, triangle head, 
Um, he described the skin. He described the, the length of the claws. He said, man, I don't understand how this thing even operated because his claws were so long that it didn't make sense that it would be able to move. And I said, well, how long are we talking about? He's like, man, we're talking about 12 inches to 14 inch long claws. I'm like, well, what did it do? He said, man, it just laid in the roadway and there was this humming sound coming from it. And I'm like, well, what do you mean humming sound? He's like humming, like it was charging or something. He was laying in the sun. It's like, it's like it was charging up and then it just takes off and goes into the wood line. That was the first time I heard of it. Then I heard another story about it from uh, around the Mammoth Caves, like a, a little bit south of the Mammoth Caves, where a gentleman found an injured freaking gigantic dog. I wouldn't necessarily say dog, man, but a gigantic dog. And he saw it was one of these things in the area. And so I'm not quite sure what this is or why it's around, but out of all of them, I think that's the most terrifying thing because I haven't heard anything else about it. And I don't, I haven't been able to dig into it. It's completely alien to me because most cryptids are based on, a lot of them are based on ancient lore. You know, like people have known about the woodsman forever, Bigfoot, you know, we've talked about Bigfoot forever. People have known about upright walking wolves, whether you call them werewolves or not. And people have known about ghastly and gangly people that you will find in hollows and crazy stuff like that. Right. But this, the concept of this kind of creature that I've never heard of, there's no law that refers back to it. It's kind of like the red man. There's no law for either one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that's some of the most frightening things because there's no, no point of reference for that. Where does it come from? Why is it here? There's, there's nothing. I mean, I'd rather someone tell me they saw a freaking little gray alien in the woods. than um, you tell me you saw that. So, you know, talking about these different creatures, you know, we got dog, man, Bigfoot, fire demons, these faceless humanoids, the red man, the vomit creature, triangle head, all of these creatures, from your experience, do you do you see these as, and it may differ from creature to creature, but do you see them as like a species or are, are most of them like an individual creature uh, where it's like it's a single one or maybe just a, a small group of them? Or is it the sort of thing where, you know, say uh, Bigfoot, there's a, a whole, effectively a whole species of them out there populated or dog man or you know uh, the the vomit creature is it is it just like one or two of them that that everyone has seen or is there like a large population of these creatures no i got you i got you so when we're talking about you know dog man there's definitely a species of these creatures and there's encounters with them from all over the world from south america to russia china india so that's something that's everywhere bigfoot we know is everywhere um this vomit creature, which is pretty much an upright walking alligator, there's only been two stories that I know of on record about that. One, Linda Godfrey was told out of Florida, and the other one was the one that came out of state line, Mississippi. So there's at least two of those somewhere in the United States. When we start getting to the fire demons, I don't necessarily know that's a species. I think that's just something demonic. The faceless man running through the woods, I personally believe that there's the woods are used for a lot of things other than hunting. I personally believe that he stumbled into an area where someone was a practicing occult magic. Um, and maybe that was something that was manifested from that dark magic practice. Uh, and that may have been what that was. 
I've been trying to get him to kind of explain a little bit more to me about the area, but I believe he went into an occult area where there's a lot of magic practice. And that's why he saw that this red man. I cannot answer what the hell that is. I don't, I, I just don't know what that is. Like I, I don't have any clue. Um, mm-hmm. and the triangle head thing, I'm, that's another one where I just, I can't tell you if it's a species, if it's a single entity, I really can't tell you much about it because I'm waiting to get more stories from people about it. The danger with like that particular being or entity, the thing I waited for a very long time to even talk about um, that encounter because you run the risk with kind of YouTube and like the horror community of someone like taking what you've told them and then turning around and repeating it and trying to monetize it. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff I don't talk about until I hear about it from someone else, someone reputable, not like some random creepy pasta dude telling scary stories, like <laughs> someone reputable, someone like a Dave Schrader or Heather Wade or George Norrie. Then I would say, okay, well, this is what I've heard because I want it from a reputable source. Um, and so I, I can't really tell you much more about that because I only had those two stories about it. I would like to know more, but if any of you guys has been in the woods, seen anything close to that, that's listening, please tell me. Cause I'm, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it and figure out exactly what it is. Interesting. So what, you know, what would you say to someone who's like, mm, kind of maybe they're, uh, I'm sure they're, I've got a few listeners right now who are, are thoroughly rolling their eyes right now. They're like, ah, I don't know. I feel like, you know, if, if this was actually happening, we'd, we'd hear about more encounters. You know, I've got, I've got hundreds of trail cams all over around and I've never seen anything. What, uh, how would you, how do you respond to critics like that? Well, my response to critics is simple. Like I do my job by sharing the information with you because I want you, if you do have an encounter, then I want you to understand the rules of engagement. So I will share within the rules of engagement. For example, if you run into something that looks like an upright walking wolf in the woods, I would say, Hey, whatever you do, don't shoot it under no circumstances and simply back up out of the area. Don't fire your rifle at that thing unless it threatens you. If you can back away and get away, get away. Same thing with Bigfoot. Um, if Bigfoot is escorting you out of the area and they're shaking trees and knocking on trees, just go in the opposite direction. Whatever you do, don't knock on trees when you're in the woods because that's their forms of communication and you don't know what you're doing. You could be ringing a dinner bell telling them that's your dinner. Um, I've had people call in live on shows and say, man, I think everything you're saying is BS. And they have the right to believe that um, because if you don't have the empirical evidence from your standpoint of going into the woods and experiencing anything, then of course you're going to think it's BS. But at the end of the day, just like you don't believe it's true, there are hundreds and thousands of people who've had encounters with things, whether it be lights in the sky at night that just were unexplainable or whether it be dog man, Bigfoot, there've been hundreds and thousands of people who have had encounters. And so um, a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. And they just take note and take mental note. That's one of the things I tell people all the time when I, I deal with hunting podcasts. You guys are something like the biggest badasses in the world because you're out <laughs> in the middle of the wild and you're doing whatever you do. My expectation is not for you to be afraid. But what I do want you to do is be aware of the fact that there are unexplained, unexplained things out there. And if you run across it, man, don't make the fatal mistake 
of getting yourself hurt. Just get the hell out of the area. And that's my response to people because you're going to always have skeptical people. Like, for example, there is there's literally a picture on my Facebook page of the dog man. Like, it's there. Like, but if you look at that picture, you read the comments, there are people who say, oh, it's just a blurb. I don't see anything. Then there's other people who say, oh, no, I see that. I see those gigantic ears. I see the snout. I see the eyes. When I look at it, I see it because I, I, I'm looking directly at it, right? So skepticism is not a bad thing. The problem comes in when you're skeptic and arrogant and you won't allow yourself to kind of just see that there may be a possibility that something else is out there. Now, I can confidently tell you this from talking to outdoorsmen because a lot of my phone calls come from outdoorsmen. The average outdoorsman has seen or heard something weird in the woods, period. They may not know what it was. They've heard those footsteps. They may, they, they, they may have decided to block them out of their mind. They probably heard weird bird calls that sound like a bird that wasn't a bird. and They knew it wasn't a bird because birds don't have that deep of a call. So mm-hmm. the majority of people had some kind of encounter experience. It's just that they write it off. And that's cool because that's what you have to do to go out into the woods. Do what you got to do. But at the end of the day, if you really see something freaky and weird, then, man, you need to address it and deal with it. Whatever you do, don't just justify it away in your mind. You know what I'm saying? If you mm-hmm. see a wolf bigger than any wolf you've ever seen and it looks at you, hey, man, don't sit there and say, oh, that's a regular wolf. No, this is bigger than anything I've ever seen. And I need to get my behind out of this area and get the hell out of there. And that's the number one thing I want people to understand and know that there are crazy and weird, freaky things out there in the woods. And you have to be careful. You really do. I'm not saying be afraid. I'm just saying be careful. Be careful and be mindful of where you are and your surroundings. There's no different than me growing up in New Orleans in an area that's crime-ridden with carjackings and robbers and dope dealers and rapists. And me driving down the street to one of the worst neighborhoods. Is it a chance I'm going to get carjacked? Yeah, I could. Does it happen every day? No, but am I aware of it? Hell yeah, you best believe it. I'm aware of it. And I'm paying attention for it, you know? And that's that's what I really want people to do. Um, go about your life, but be mindful that there's things out there that are unexplained. So you mentioned, uh, we, you you kind of mentioned it in passing, talking about the signs for Bigfoot, uh, the knocking on trees. What are, you know, as as people are in the woods as they're, you know, as they're, maybe they're out hunting, whatever it happens to be, or uh, just out in the evening on, maybe they got a lot of property. Um, what for maybe some of the more well-known of these creatures, whether it's Dogman or Bigfoot, what are some of the signs uh, people should be looking for? Oh, absolutely. Um, if you're talking about Bigfoot, the number one sign that you're going to find is going to be snap tree limbs. Um, and you're going to tell they're going to be broken. And the way the tree limbs are broken is you'll see where they're snapped and kind of splintered. And what I mean by splintered is, uh, what's the best way to describe it? If you took, um, if you took a pencil, right. And you broke it, you would get a clean break, right? When Bigfoot breaks tree limbs, They'll take it and they'll twist it. And so you that's where the snap that people hear comes in the woods comes from. It's not them just pulling it down and popping it. It's them twisting it. 
and it snaps and then you'll see where it kind of feathers up kind of like where a, like a ball of yarn how it kind of gets tangled up a little bit mm-hmm. you'll see this kind of um feathery ball where the where the uh where the limbs have kind of expanded outward because imagine just taking a tree limb and twisting it the torque is going to pop it open and make it kind of shatter open that's one of the signs another sign is going to be the smell you you will know that you're smelling something extremely weird now the tree knocking that people describe where they hear knocks on the trees i personally believe that's their communication method when they're hunting and it's kind of like their way of knocking saying i'm over here i'm over here and they're triangulating their prey so if you hear that knocking that might not necessarily be a good thing for you. You might want to get out of the area. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that they do is they make these calls and I'll send you an audio recording of one that a guy sent me off his back porch. It literally started off sounding like a bird, right? And it went from like a, a bird chirping, 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 chirping. Then it got deeper and deeper and deeper. And then at the end of it, you can hear it sound like something on <laughs> like clearing his throat, right? Pay attention to the sounds around you when you're out in the woods. You know, if, you, if you're an outdoorsman, you know what a bird sounds like. And then you know when a bird sounds strange and something sounds different about that call. Um, those are some of the common signs. You know, the smell, the stream musty smell. Um, you know if that's an area. When it comes to dog man, well, so I think the really number quick, one. Really quick, before we hop on to dog man, I'd love to just keep talking about Bigfoot. Are they a considered to be a carnivorous creature? Are they are they more like humans where they can they'll they'll eat what's in front of them almost? No, they're pretty much meat eaters, bro. Um, I've had a lot of stories from people who've owned property where their hogs have been taken by Bigfoots, um, dogs have been taken and eaten by Bigfoots. Um, they definitely are meat eaters. Um, that's a huge part of their diet. You. you and then the other thing is the ambush predator. So if we want to stick to the Bigfoot kind of theme, another thing that you really need to understand is you're dealing with an ambush predator. So talking hunter kind of um, talk, you know, there's game trails, right? You set your trail cameras up on game, on game trails, mm-hmm. right? Cause you're trying to figure out where the game's coming through. Well, they oftentimes hide on the side of game trails and then ambush the, the deer or whatever as it's coming down the trail. That's how they, they hunt. So you'll find kind of Bigfoot blinds on the side of game trails. And we're talking about 20, 30 yards to the right or 20, 30 yards to the left of the game trail. You'll find their own blinds that they've created. And I've had investigators that went into the field and actually found those blinds, especially in Southeast Louisiana. They found all kind of crazy stuff out there. Um, stick structures, blinds, where you can tell something huge was hiding in it and you can still smell it. So they're definitely meat eaters. Um, will they eat you? I mean, I, any human being that was eaten by a Bigfoot didn't live to tell a story. So <laughs> I can't hundred percent verify that because, you know, I, I just can't tell you because they never called and told me the story. But what we do know is there've been plenty of stories over time where um, kids would get lost in the woods and they would say that a big furry man took care of them until the authorities found them. I mean, that's something that's common, a common story that's been documented over and over and over again. Um, there's something, some kind of soft spot they have for children. I'm not sure why, maybe it's a female Bigfoot, but there's a soft spot they have for children. And then there's stories of grown men who've been, um, 
taking my big foots and released. So it's clearly something that um, an intelligent creature that's a sentient thinking being, um, humanoid in some ways and non-human in other ways, meaning by size and strength, um, it's not like a normal man. But again, I think the most important thing is that you're weary and careful of what you're doing out in the woods. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember a guy's story, a guy told me about, uh, this is out of Mississippi for sure, how as a kid, his family um, knew and was aware that there were Bigfoots on their property. And this is this story goes to the personality of these creatures. And I believe that they have individual personalities like we do as human beings. And I think those personalities are shaped based on their encounters with humans. Well, his dad and his granddad taught him how to track them, how to stay away from them, how to know if they were in the area. And so he devised a plan that when he went out doing hog hunting season, if he killed a hog, or if he killed two hogs, he would leave one hog strung up to a tree for the Bigfoots in the area because he knew they were there. And every time he killed a hog, two hogs, he would leave one there for them going about his business. Well, one particular day, he killed three hogs, took two, strung one up, and realized that um, he left his, his knife, that his, like his hunting knife that his grandfather gave him. And so he starts walking back into the area and he could smell that they're there because he was picking up on the scent of them. And when he gets to the little clearing where he had hung that hog up, he sees one walking into the woods with the hog over his shoulder, kind of stiff leg moving like it couldn't completely bend his knee, but it was going into the woods, right? He realized, okay, maybe this was the Bigfoot that I've been helping this whole time because when I kill the hogs and leave them, something takes them. And we're talking about a whole hog. We ain't talking about you know, leaving the leg or the, in, you know, the innards or the guts. We talking about a whole hog he would leave there. Yeah. Well, one day he's out on that property and he's climbing up into his tree stand, slips and falls, lands on a rock, like hitting his back and then his head on a rock and passes out, blacks out, right? Um, when he wakes back up, he's literally behind the seat of his truck. Like he's bleeding, but he's in the driver's seat of his truck. The door's open. And he's, he's the last thing he remembered was being on the ground. But he's, when he wakes back up, he's literally behind the driver's seat of his truck. When he goes to crank it up and turn on the lights, he sees the Bigfoot standing there in the tree line watching him. And as it sees the lights come on, it turns around and walks back into the woods. Now, that guy is still hunting on that land to this day. He still doesn't have a problem with any of the Bigfoots. And I believe that because over the years of where his family kind of brought him up and taught him how to respect those creatures that he'll never have a problem out of them. I mean, absolutely never, unless he goes into their, you know, unless he goes into their living room where, you know, they kind of eating and doing what they need to do. I don't think he'll ever have a problem out of them. So it goes to the personality of these creatures. They're a lot like us from that standpoint. There've been stories that people share with me um, out of Kentucky where they've encountered kind of crazy deranged Bigfoots on their property where it would kind of be mumbling and talking to itself and banging in the trees, banging its head on trees and banging its arms and elbows on trees and then walk off into the woods. And it'll come back and kind of do the same thing over and over again. And that guy got a little bit antsy about it because he's like, man, I've seen Bigfoots in the area, but none of them behave this way. So he started firing shots to try and run it off and it ran off into the woods and he didn't see it again. So I, I believe that just like we have personalities, a lot of these creatures do. Um, do you think it's, do you think it's more of an instinctual 
type of type of development or is there a certain a certain level of intelligence that's also associated with it i mean if clearly you know if they're hunting in packs things like that there's some level of intelligence but i mean are they are they are you thinking it's more of an animalistic style of instinct or or there's a pretty high level of i guess coherence to them no, I think I believe that you have to have a high level of coherent intelligence in order for something like that to function and function and hide the way it does, um, and then for it to choose its interactions with with people. So, um, example: you and I are walking out in the woods, right? And we're headed down this trail. We're headed to where we're going. Those creatures can be to the right and to the left of us that entire time. And they choose when they want to show themselves to us and they choose the reason why they want to show themselves to us. Right. Um, other cases where they've been in the tree lines, just watching people go about their daily life, you know, like we're their television and we're there for their entertainment. So I really believe that they have the ability to think, plot, plan, and make decisions. A simple fact, like in something that just had an animalistic instinctual, um, need for food or for shelter that completely act out of instinct. So out of instinct, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat anything or anyone. So you wouldn't have any stories of, you know, kids being found in areas where there were Bigfoots and kids talking about, yeah, this big furry man, you know, kept me safe. Cause that's, you know, it's acting out of, if it was acting out of instinct, it would eat that kid. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Or yeah. it would hurt or harm that kid. Um, so I really believe that these are, sentient beings that have the ability to think and reason. If not, I don't, I don't believe they would have been able to hang around long enough. And if you imagine over the years of being in the woods and, and encountering human beings, that you have to develop some form of reason in order to survive. And I think that's why they've been able to survive because they have the ability to reason. Another thing that lends to that is the structures that you find, especially like up north in Alaska and in real remote areas, some of the hunters that I've talked to that have been up there, I mean, they find massive structures. And when they once they start to kind of map out where the structures are, they're boundary lines. They're literally like territorial boundary lines. A structure here, five miles down, another structure. Ten miles down, another structure. So they're marking their boundary and their territory. They're not marking it for me and you, right? Because we don't really understand their sign. They're marking it for each other. So it, they have to have the ability to think and reason and understand. That is, uh, it's, it's amazing hearing about all of this in, because I think from most people's perspective, uh, you hear about Bigfoot and I think most people that believe that Bigfoot exists almost believe that it's just a single, a single creature, kind of a remnant of, of a pastime or something that no one's seen. And it's interesting hearing about all of the, uh, the society, kind of effectively the society, the whole, whole picture of what Bigfoot is. No, absolutely. You know, there have been um, Iraqi war veterans that have had Bigfoot encounters in Iraq. There there was one incident in Russia. I can't remember what they they called it, but it was it was in uh, on this mountain pass where um, it was definitely a Bigfoot encounter. They found a whole bunch of people torn to shreds and and eaten on in Russia. So we know that we can't say it's a sole individual creature in the woods. We know that there has to be some kind of family unit, family structure, um, and they're reproducing and populating the woods. So we know it's more than just 
hey, I saw a Bigfoot and it's one. And I'll tell this to the, anybody who's hunting. If you do see one and it shows itself to you, be paying attention to what's to your right and to your left. So if you see one creature, just pretty much know that there's more than one in the area um, because they move in family clans. So if you see one, then yeah, it's probably two or three more in the era area. So I want you to be mindful of that. Don't call off and start shooting and acting a fool. You know, literally get yourself out of that situation and just pull yourself out of that and get the hell out of there because you don't really want to be tangoing with one, something like that. That's too big, too strong for you to be dealing with. Just go about your business and don't get caught into, Oh, I got this type of gun with this type of ammo and they'll take down this. No, just, it makes no sense to take the chance, man, because you may put a bullet in that thing's head, but, um, you never know. You, you really never know. There was a story that came out years ago um, from Hanabi. Uh, it's called the Siege of Hanabi. These two brothers that were having, literally having Bigfoots attack their property. And we're talking about eight foot tall, no neck, huge trapezoid monsters coming out of the woods. They're shooting them and it's not stopping them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of their troubles stem from the fact that they were shooting them. Now they were acting, the animals were acting crazy and harassing their family members, especially the females, um, when they were on the property. But I'd rather see someone just get rid of the property and go about their business than, you know, get into that kind of situation. It's easier to sell property and move away, um, than to tangle with something like that. And you can look it up. I think, um, West Garment did that years ago and it's been a hundred percent verified. It's so verified that they ended up doing like freaking Bigfoot conventions in that town because that's how bad it was in there in that area then there's an area in alabama that's called the bigfoot capital of alabama and um there's been thousands of sightings there one guy that i talked to um he gave me his encounter and was explaining to me about how when he was a kid him and his brother were playing in the backyard kind of throwing the football back and forth and um the younger brother was throwing the football to the older brother who had his back turned to the tree line. And they're just tossing the football back and forth, back and forth. And the only way the older brother knew something was going on behind him was that his younger brother literally started shaking, like just standing there shaking, his body shaking. And he realized that something was behind him, turned around, and it was the 11-foot-tall freaking Bigfoot standing in the tree line looking at him. Runs, grabs his brother, goes into the house, and hides in the house. So... um there's all kind of encounters that people have had. Mm-hmm. And again, I think the most, when we talk about that creature, they're a lot more inquisitive and um, for a lack of a better word, they've been called the watchers of the woods because they watch you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about some of the other creatures, they're a hell of a lot more aggressive than Bigfoot. So I think if you have a Bigfoot encounter, you'll be fine. As long as it's, you know, not deranged or starving or death, you should be fine. Um, but some of those other things out there, you might have your hands full. You really might have your hands full. So speaking about more aggressive creatures, would you say Dogman uh, fits that bill as one of the more aggressive creatures you would you would find out in the woods or you possibly would encounter? Absolutely. I think it I think it made the bill for being the most aggressive creature that you will find out in the woods, um, mainly because. And I don't understand why. I think, again, it goes back to that kind of alpha territorial, letting you know who's the boss. 
type personality, but they have been known to show themselves to people and intentionally run people out of the area. And if you assault them, shoot at them, shoot in direction, they've been known for following you home and then intimidating you at your house, showing themselves at your house. The same thing that happened to Connor in the very first story. Mm-hmm. All he did was pee on a tree, man. That's all he did. And again, in the animal world, you're marking territory, right? But I mean, this guy's life has been hell ever since him and his dog peed on a tree. You understand what I'm saying? And I mean, they yeah. literally, and that's terrorizing a person to where you're peeping through their windows at night, surrounding their house at night, beating on their car at night. I mean, that goes, the reason why I shared that story with you guys first is because I wanted you to understand the personality type that you were dealing with. You are dealing with something that kind of gets a thrill out of intimidating people um, and just letting you know, hey, I'm the boss, I'm here, and you need to get the hell on from around here. Now, in Connor's case, I don't think they're going to run him anywhere, and I don't think he's backing down, but, um, and I've talked to him about selling his property, I don't think he's going to ever do that, but it just goes to show you their mentality. Um, there's been stories where guys have shot him and it followed him home. In fact, there was a guy who, um, who he put me on the phone with at a picnic, right? And he calls me, he's with me, he's like, hey, James, you know, I got this guy over here and he's telling the story about how he shot this thing in the woods and he described it as a werewolf. It looked like a werewolf. And, and I was wondering if you want to talk to him. I'm like, sure, let me talk to him. And so you kind of hear him sheepishly telling him, hey, man, you know, I'm a, my buddy, Dalt Waters, on the phone. He deals in this stuff. He knows a lot about what you saw. You want to talk to him. At first, the guy's like, nah, I don't want to talk about it. He says, man, I'm telling you, the guy knows his stuff, you know, just give him a holler and talk to him about it. So he tells me his encounter. And he tells me he's out in the woods, walking through the woods, heading to this little um, blind. And he sees this thing on all fours. He said, it looked like a big black wolf. And then he stood up and he took two shots at it, right? I said, well, what happened after you took the two shots at it? Did you hit it? He's like, yeah, I hit it once in the shoulder. He's like, I think I hit it once in the gut. I said, well, what did it do? He had dropped down on all fours and went in the other direction. I said, well, how far was that from your house, man? He was like, well, you know, it's right up the road from my house. I'm about seven miles away. I said, uh, you need to prepare for that thing to come back to your property, right? He said, I don't think it's going to come back, but, you know, it was kind of freaky and weird to see something like that. And the woods. I said, no, listen to me. It's going to come back to your house, bro. I need you to prepare for this thing to come back to your house. He thinks I'm crazy, right? Mm-hmm. He's off the phone with me. I tell Connor, I say, hey, man, you know the deal. Talk to this dude. He's like, man, I'm trying to talk to him. I said, tell him what's up. Well, Connor and I fall out of contact for a little while, about a month, because he goes through these phases where, you know, he just won't answer his phone or whatever. Where's the hell out of me? And we finally talk. And I say, what happened to your buddy, man? He's like, man, he don't live in that house no more. I was like, really? He's like, nah. He said something was coming around, beating on his house, looking in his windows, climbing on his roof. And he got the hell up out of there. I said, did he sell it? And he's like, nah, he just moved out. He's gone. And so that's the personality we type we're talking about. And that's why I tell you, don't assault these creatures. Because for whatever reason, they don't, they don't take kindly to you being the alpha. And in the case of, and like in the case of Connor, where now he's like, like reckless and doesn't care anymore. Like he doesn't care if he lives or he dies. He's the only person that I've talked to. And I've talked to about 200 to five, no, 200 to 250 is a, a better number. Like 200, 260 
dog man witnesses, like real dog man encounter witnesses that have had true encounters, ran into them in the woods, had them on their property, um, and come in contact with them. He's the only person that I know of that's done that with a dog man and they haven't done anything to him. So psychologically, there may be something there to the fact that once you just don't care and there's absolutely no fear that they respect. I had another guy who had a certain similar, similar situation with Bigfoot. Um, his wife died of cancer. The area where um, he liked to go hunt and kind of go in the woods and drink his beers was heavily infested with Bigfoot. They ran him out of there a number of times in this, this particular time. After his wife died, he just didn't care, man. He was just, I don't care. I'm going to my favorite spot. I don't care if these things are here or not. He went there, lit a fire, sat around drinking beer, drinking beers. They came into the area, but they didn't bother him. Normally, they would run him out. But he's just like, I don't care what y'all do. I'm staying here. And he didn't bother him. They, they kind of came around the area, circled him, and went on about their business. So there may be something about that full commitment. I mean, 100% not afraid. Um well, it's, and maybe it's there's pheromone, countless stories. I don't know what it yeah. is. There's countless stories of even just, you know, your average dog uh, or or other animals in the woods that can sense, uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, sense your fear. And, you know, they pick up on other things such as as body language and I'm sure pheromones and uh, it, it, little little facial cues and things that that humans typically wouldn't pick up on and so it would not surprise me at all if uh these you know these creatures were you know especially the more intelligent ones were able to very easily pick up on those details and you know whatever they are again whether yeah it's pheromones your general zen aura you're putting out or whatever it may be i'm thinking honestly and that's what i was and you got to understand while I'm talking about this particular thing, I'm, this is not, I'm like thinking my way through this as I talk to you. So if you hear me kind of hesitant as I talk about it, it's cause I'm thinking my way through it as I talk to you about it. I really believe it's gotta be the pheromones, like mm-hmm. the fear. I believe they can sense fear. And then when there's no fear there, I think it confuses them um, because there's absolutely no fear. And I think the only way you get to that point, is by truly get to that point is by having encounters with these creatures to the point to where you're angry or you're upset or you just don't care. So for example, if someone that's listening to this podcast was out in the woods and he came across a freaking dog, man, upright walking wolf, 12 to 12 feet tall, there's no way you can tell me you're not going to be afraid. If you've never seen it before, you have no context of it. There's no place in your brain. There's no little compartment in your head for this to exist. You can't tell me there won't be any fear. So I'm pretty sure it'll be on you trying to intimidate you. But for a person who's seen it over and over again, encountered it over and over again, um, been harassed by it and just had enough, I really believe that that person can be fearless in a situation, especially when they're angry because of loss or death or something like that. And I really believe it's pheromones. That, that may be the right word to describe it. Um, there may be a better word to describe it, but this, the scent that they get off you is different. And they know that, okay, I might get hurt if I mess with this guy because he's not playing with me. He has no fear of me. Um, and so that's, that's the, what I'm trying to get to the conclusion of while we talk. So forgive me for thinking it through as I talk to you guys, but 
the Connor stuff just recently happened. And so we've been talking about this over the past week and I'm kind of talking it through with you as we talk. So if there was, if, if you had to sum up, you know, somebody to, to somebody, uh, you know, maybe you're in an elevator with someone and you want to give them a, a summary of what they need to know about, you know, to dramatize a little bit, the cre- all these creatures that go bump in the night. If you had to, to kind of wrap this all up, what would, you, what would you tell someone about these creatures and what they should really know? Yeah, if I had to give them an ele- elevator pitch about creatures that go bump in the night, the first thing I would say is there are things that go bump in the night. Absolutely, 100% certain that there are things that exist outside of the normal of what we believe. The key to it is this, be having an open mind. So if you encounter something outside of the norm, that you know what to do. And I would say if you're dealing with something that looks like a gigantic wolf and it stands up on two legs, it's really easy. Don't shoot it. Don't look it in the eyes and get the hell out of there. If you're dealing with something that looks like a gigantic man in the woods, no neck, all trapezoids, all shoulders, and it's freaking breaking tree limbs back out of the area, leave it alone. If you see something freaky and weird, demonic type thing in the woods, whether it be a gigantic shadow, whether it be um, a pale man in the woods, whether it be a red looking man, like a human being that's red back out of the area and going about your business. The overall theme would be get away from it and leave it alone. And that would be my overall theme to the whole conversation because you do not want the context of your mind to change and shift so much that it cracks and fractures your brain in the way you think, because you cannot go back to being normal after having that type of encounter. So you just want to get out of the area. You know, the less, the less exposure you have to something like that, the better off you are. It's one thing to see something run across your scope of your rifle, right? You can live with that. It's another thing to see something step from behind a tree and you back out of the area, you can question it and you can kind of lock that away in your mental safe and say, okay, I saw that, but uh, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to let it go, right? Well, if you see something step from behind a tree and take a shot at it and it starts charging you and chasing you, now you're into nightmare territory where you're not going to sleep. You're going to relive it over and over and over again. And it really does affect your household. And the one thing I, I guess I should leave you with is that the way, another way that you know it's been something true that happened to people is how it all ends, right? Most people think that a witness encounter or they have some kind of dog man or Bigfoot encounter, it's like, oh, it ends with them leaving the woods. Well, no, there's, there's sleepless nights that come along with it. There's the inability to go back and do something you love, which is hunting. Because now you can't easily make that trip into the woods at four o'clock in the morning to get mm-hmm. set up in a blind and catch the deers because your whole entire context of what you believe is in the woods has changed. So every little noise has had you on, you know, on pins and needles. So um, it's, li- it's life altering when people have these type of encounters. You don't know how many hunters that I've talked to that just stopped hunting, period. They will not go in the woods anymore because prior to their encounter, they did not believe it was possible. And now they do know that it's possible. And so that part of their life is just doesn't exist anymore because they don't feel safe. So 
um, that would be my elevator pitch. My elevator pitch would be, hey, if you're in the area and you think there's something crazy going on, just leave. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You can come back and hunt the next day. 90% of the time, whatever that thing is that's in that area, it's only there for a little while. I'd rather you get out of the way, let it do what it's going to do, so you can enjoy that part of your life as opposed to, you know, trying to be tough and be like, oh, I'm not going to stay here and deal with whatever it is. Well, once it happens and once you have that encounter, it's way more to it than than what you believe because you have to go through the whole psychological and mental process of adjusting and understanding and digesting and rationalizing and then realizing that it's real and you have to deal with that reality. So my advice is, hey, if it's weird in the woods, if you're in the woods and there's birds been chirping and everything has been going on and it goes dead silent and you feel like something's watching, nine times out of 10, something is watching you. If you're in the woods and you see, and you feel like you just went into a bubble of no sound, like literally you're walking and there's sound, 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 and it feels like you crossed a barrier where there's literally no sound, back your behind, back out of that area until you hear the sounds again. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to know that, oh, you'll know the difference. And I, I understand I'm not an outdoorsman. And what I'm telling you is true. People will tell you this all the time. I was just walking in the woods and I heard the crickets and I heard this and I heard that. And I got in this area, there was literally no sound. And most people say, well, that's because there's a predator in the area, right? You know, maybe there's a mountain lion, maybe there's this. Um, so everything's quiet. And that may be true, but it may be something different as well. So just mm-hmm. be mindful that you may be running into the ultimate predator as opposed to just running into a mountain lion or a cougar or whatever other kind of bear or whatever other kind of predators out there. So I really, I really want you to release a line of either shirts shirts or stickers. That's just all it says on them is back out the woods, go about your business. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's just all. I just want you, I just want you to release those as like a sticker or a t-shirt or something. I think with your, then underneath, just say dark waters, back out of the woods, go about your business. Go about your business. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. And I think that's the, the key, man. So if folks, uh, we talked about it a little bit, but if folks want to follow along, where can they find you online? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at dark H two Oh one. Twitter at Dark H two O one, YouTube Dark Waters, and then my website imdarkwaters.com. and then you can just Google Dark Waters interviews, and you'll find hundreds of them. Um, where you can hear me talking about uh, all kinds of freaky, scary stuff that uh, that'll keep you up all night. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to. Join me for this uh, super special episode. Give uh, give my listeners a little scare and uh, hopefully teach them a little something. No, absolutely. And what I'll do is I'm going to send you something to go along with this. I'll send you one of the Bigfoot uh, encounters dramatized okay. for them to listen to. You can give it a kind of way as a bonus. I'll send you two or three. That way you can kind of give it as a bonus story for people to listen to so they can hear that. I'm pretty sure they'll enjoy it. I'll send some super scary stuff. Sounds great. Thank you so much. No, thank you. All right, everyone. That'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we've talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. I'm looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and 
listen for all those little things that go bump in the night. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from The Wild Initiative family, and more. 